0: Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Legal Academy, a podcast from the University of Arkansas School of Law. My name is Dorinda Sharp.
1: And I'm Colin Hesse. On this episode, Zoe Niesel, an assistant professor, the Director of Law Success Program, and the co-director of the Legal Research and Writing Program at St. Mary's University School of Law, talks with Dorinda about her research on personal jurisdiction in the age of internet contact. Niesel was on campus in March of 2018 as part of the Law School Speaker Exchange.
0: We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, welcome. Um, Thank you so much, I'm really happy to be here. Great, okay, so you're here for our speaker exchange series joining us from St. Mary's Law School in San Antonio. San Antonio, Texas, that's right. And this afternoon you're gonna speak to our faculty about your new paper which is hashtag personal jurisdiction, a new age of internet contacts. Uh, That is correct. So will you talk to me a little bit about what you're gonna
2: tell the faculty? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this paper is really kind of born out of the idea that as society increasingly uses the internet, uh, we're increasingly making contacts across multiple jurisdictions. And so the traditional test when you have a website that's making contact with a forum is to use what we call the Zippo test, uh, which most first-year law students read about in Civil Procedure. But for our listeners, Tell us what that is. Sure. So Zippo <laughs> basically looks to see whether the website meets a certain level of interactivity. Okay. And so the idea is if you have a very passive website, something that just posts information, maybe you didn't make minimum contacts with a forum by posting that website. On the opposite end of the spectrum is what we would call a very active website. And that would look like something where you get online and make a purchase. So okay. if you get online and purchase from an online store, we would say that was a highly interactive experience. Okay. The problem is there's this huge middle ground where something isn't necessarily passive or active, and when you look at the case law, you can see a lot of inconsistency in that middle ground. And that inconsistency is really heightened by the fact that as technology develops, most websites are just interactive in their very existence. So you look at things like background processes like bots or cookies or targeted advertisements, and to me, that really looks like forum targeting, even in the absence of what the Zippo test might conceive of as interactivity. Okay. And so my paper looks essentially to simplify this test by saying when you have internet processes that reach the forum through normal technological channels, I think that
0: does satisfy minimum contacts. Okay. What is minimum contacts?
2: Great question. Uh, so essentially, minimum context. Of what are minimum contacts? Yeah. Which is it? What, what are minimum okay. <laughs> Uh So minimum contacts prevent you or I from being sued in a distant forum, which we have no relationship to, right? Oh, okay. So if I get sued tomorrow in Alaska, uh, my first question is going to be, why am I being sued in Alaska? And so the court would look to say, well, did I, Zoe Niesel, do something in Alaska that created a reasonable expectation that I could be sued there?
0: Okay, and your paper argues that even these Um, websites with low interaction still meet that? I think so, and it's really because
2: even though they may look low interaction, really technologically they're not anymore. And most people who use the internet understand that. We understand that if you post something on a social media platform or on the internet, that you're targeting multiple fora, and companies certainly understand that in doing so they're using these concepts like cookies or bots or targeted ads, um, to target individual fora, even in the absence of specific human action, but through the action of their technological processes.
0: Okay. So this is pretty drilled down as far as niche <laughs> niche research goes. Sure, yeah. <laughs> what
2: led you to this? Uh, so Zippo is a case I teach in Civil Procedure. And the first time I read the case, I said, well, that's really strange. Uh, But I taught it, and then the second time I came back to it and I said, gosh, that is really strange. And then I guess it took three times, because the third time I read it, I said, yeah, I'm having a gut reaction to this, and I think I need (laughs) to look into it. And so that's how I got to where uh, the paper is
0: today. Were you studying other things Before this,
2: yes. So my scholarship is largely in the area of personal jurisdiction. So I'm interested in when courts have power over people or corporations. Okay. And so this is really a a natural outgrowth of looking at other really difficult applications of personal jurisdiction.
0: Great. That that all makes sense now. I was trying to follow the (laughs) path. Earth, (laughs) did you do this? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A question I've asked many times. (laughs) So in addition to teaching civil procedure and other things, you're also the co-director of legal research and writing program at St. Mary's. That's correct, yes. What does that involve?
2: Uh, So along with my co-director, Professor Bonnie Roberts, uh, we manage a team of six legal writing professionals. And in doing so, we design the legal writing problem for St. Mary's, we look at the learning outcomes we're trying to achieve, we run the moot court competition. Uh, And so it's really such a fantastic opportunity because Writing is one of the most important skills you can gain in law school. Um, I tell students all the time, you can download as much substantive knowledge into your brain as it can fit. But if you can't do anything with that substantive knowledge, it's just gonna sit there. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be able to write and communicate. And so in addition to writing, uh, we've really focused on greater communication skills, like having inter-office meetings, writing emails, uh, communicating to a client. So
0: really looking at writing and communication as going hand in glove. Does the, do you talk about um, how social media fits into that as well? A little
2: bit, mostly we focus on email since most firms and companies are still using email as the primary form of kind of work-based communication. And there's an art to writing a professional email. It's true. It's true, yeah, and if you've never had to do it before, uh, it's kind of a different thing to tackle. And so we want to give students the
0: experience of playing in that space before they're in the real world scenario. That's great training, which also dovetails right into your work as director of Law Success.
2: Yes, so I've been acquiring, I think, several directorships. (laughs) Uh, And so Law Success is the St. Mary's initiative to prepare students for the bar exam and practice. And it's such an amazing program. Um, It's a huge honor to, to get to be at the helm of it. Essentially, we look at data and assessments to guide how we can best help our students build skills in things like analysis and writing and communication and bar preparation. and we teach a curriculum over the course of three years that contributes to those outcomes. How long has that been going on? Gosh, uh, I got there in May
0: 2016, and that's about when it started. Okay. So this is still pretty new. So so you haven't had a full class go through to see if there's a change? We have not. Change. Nope.
2: So our 1Ls who entered in fall 2016 are kind of the first group to go through with this initiative.
0: That'll be interesting. It'll be so interesting. I'll, I'm going to have to keep an eye on that because <laughs> you know, we have a bar prep and student success program as well that's also very new and so it's it's fun to watch law schools take on this responsibility to their students. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's something a lot of schools are thinking
2: about, Um, not just Arkansas and St. Mary's, but I think on a national level. For me, what's really exciting is the move towards data-driven approaches. Mm -hmm. So kind of the traditional model, right, is we see someone who's doing poorly in law school, and we say things like, well, study harder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's wildly unhelpful. And so the goal of the Law Success Program is to take that person and, through a series of diagnostics, say, hey, it turns out you are really, really good at analyzing information but when it comes to actually writing it down we can see there's certain gaps in these areas and then let us help you build that skill to kind of turn that ship around.
0: So obviously you had choices coming out of law school to go into <laughs> academics or practice what led you to academics as opposed to as, you know, being a conventional lawyer or doing some other career that you know was peripherally related? Sure so one thing that
2: um, I don't love to hear is when people find out what I do, they say, oh, you must have hated being a lawyer. (laughs) And that's just not true at all. I thought law practice was exciting. I was a clerk in a federal court, and I thought that was absolutely one of the best experiences. Um, And really, it was kind of luck that led me to this place. Um, I took my first kind of academic role at Wake Forest University as a visiting professor. And I hadn't even really been specifically looking for the opportunity. And when it came up, I thought, yeah, that's, that's something I'd really like to do. And then once I got in, I was like, that confirmed my expectations. I do really enjoy this. And so for me, it's more about the service and getting to give back and especially in my capacity as director of law success and co-director of legal writing, getting to think deeply about the student experience and how we can make sure students are getting the most out of law school. It's a big expense, people put their lives on hold, and I think there's a moral obligation for us to make sure that they're getting the most out of their time with us. And so that's what really gets me up in the morning, is thinking about those issues.
0: We had a guest on the said one of the things she asks her students the first day is raise your hand if you plan to be a mediocre lawyer and no one no does one their of hand. course <laughs> um, but you know, the people i talked to for this podcast i also noticed no one wants to be a mediocre teacher
2: no no one absolutely. wants to produce
0: mediocre lawyers
2: yeah the goal is not to go in every day and be like well, let me just kind of get by and make sure no one falls asleep. Uh, That's not the goal. The goal is to go in and say, how can I impart as much knowledge in the most interactive way I possibly can? So what led you to law school? I really enjoyed writing, which is appropriate now that I co-direct a legal writing program. And uh, I knew lawyers wrote a lot.
0: And your bachelor's degree is in?
2: Oh my gosh, it was in anthropology with a focus on archeology. span Okay. So I am living proof. You can start anywhere and end up in (laughs) law school. (laughs) Um, I think that's one of the more unique ones people hear. But I, I knew lawyers wrote, and what I had liked about my anthropology studies was the analytical component. And I thought, well, I think law school is gonna combine those things for me. And I liked the idea that I wouldn't necessarily be in one field that lawyers learn constantly. You get cases across multiple subject areas and you're always becoming something of an expert on the facts of that case. And that was very intriguing to me and
0: uh, it all went from there. So now that you are a teacher and a director and all these things, what advice would you give students in law school right now?
2: Well, as Director of Law Success, I could probably go on for, like, 90 minutes about this, (laughs) so I will contain myself. Um, But to those listening, I think the number one piece of advice I would give is focus on skills, not grades. And I know that's very frustrating to hear. And by the way, I was in law school, so I get it. Um, But I see a lot of people who want to do amazing things in practice. And my concern is, well, let me make sure we build your skills so that you're ready to do those amazing things. So every time there's an opportunity to write, take it. Every time there's an opportunity to speak, take it. Every time there's an opportunity to get out in the real world, take it. Focus on building those skills because that's what's going to make the most of your time here.
0: That's good advice. So what about undergraduates or even non-traditional folks considering law school? What? What would you tell them about either the, the experience, the process, um, how to prepare? So I think the best thing you can do for
2: yourself as someone who's interested in going to law school is, again, to focus on that reading and writing component. I tell people the first day of orientation, congratulations, you've entered reading and writing school. That's really <laughs> what law school is. And so first of all, be honest with yourself if that's something you enjoy. Um, If the idea of sitting down and reading 50 or 100 pages a night is really not within what you would want to spend your time doing, Not that law school is necessarily a bad fit, but I think that's a conversation worth having because you're going to be spending a lot of your time doing that.
0: Well, even after you graduate, you're going to be spending a lot of time doing that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, bad
2: news, folks. It's only going to get worse in that regard. Um, So be honest with yourself. If you like to read and write or if you think you can get yourself to a place where that's something you can enjoy, I think law school is a really good fit for you. And again, jump on those opportunities. If you have the opportunity to shadow a lawyer, take it. If you know lawyers, ask them what they like and don't like about what they're doing. Uh, And be flexible. I know I'm an example of this, but so many people go into law school thinking they're gonna do something out, something, and then they end up doing something different. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, usually it's because you found what works for your skill set. And so if you're thinking about going to law school for a very specific purpose, that's great. But I think also cultivate in your mind a willingness to explore and challenge that.
0: Also good advice. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely.
1: For more information on Conversations with the Legal Academy, show notes, and additional episodes, go to law.uark.edu slash podcast. Or you can find us at kuaf.com under the local and podcast menu. You can also listen to episodes or subscribe through iTunes or with your favorite podcast app. If you enjoy the show, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts which will help others find us. Music for Conversations with the Legal Academy was written and performed by Josh Woodward. To keep up with us between episodes, follow the University of Arkansas School of Law on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for UArk Law. That's U-A-R-K-L-A-W. Thank you for listening.